Welcome to the stories behind the CDE, also known as the California Department of Education. This is the second episode, Education Might Require a Culture Shift. I'm Jennifer Cano, your podcast host, and I am here to share the experiences and passions that led the CDE staff to work in education, while also discussing some of the challenges California public schools are facing. In this episode, I interview Nicole Hamlin, who works in the Language and Leadership Office at the CDE. Nicole shares her past experiences as a teacher that brought her awareness of English learners and that ultimately led her to do the work she does today. As a reminder, English learners are students who do not read, speak, write, or understand English well as a result of English not being their home language. Let's jump right in. My name is Nicole Hamlin. Something that people don't know about me, I'm a pretty open book, I'm very transparent. I grew up in an abusive environment and I think that that background and having been through turmoil and challenges has given me perspective and allowed me to have empathy and really motivated me to be somebody that advocates for people that can't advocate for themselves. But not to then speak for them, but to give them the skills and platform to speak for themselves. How do you find value in these skills throughout your life? Well, I think that being able to relate to people uh, from many different backgrounds, cultures, socioeconomic situations, I think that that's where those soft skills really come into play because we are so entrapped in our own little world and where we grow up and our own experiences and our own cultural identity that it's difficult, I think, for a lot of people when you are confronted with someone or a situation outside of that familiarity to feel comfortable with that. And that's when you have to kind of like tap into those soft skills and be able to learn from that environment and relate to people based on what you do have in common. And often we have more in common than we realize. It's just having the opportunity or taking the opportunity to to find those commonalities. And as we speak about people and like, trying to relate to people. In your opinion, what do you think are the most common reasons that people fail or give up? I think that fear of failure, obviously that's a very common idea that's out there that's not an original concept, but it still permeates being judged or trying again and then failing again or uh, failing because you're not good enough and then not having the confidence to be able to you know, build that back up. The concept that failure is an opportunity to do it better and do it again, and it's those mistakes or things that we learn from, I don't think that that's really an idea that's valued in American society. It seems like there's supposed to be a culture shift, so how do you even start that conversation? I think that that comes from a stronger foundation to begin with. So once we value diversity, And once we value people that are different from us and have different beliefs, and that comes from all different perspectives, it's not just one perspective, there has to be a common ground that we come to and we respect one another's opinion. And I think assume best intentions, and that when we assume best intentions of one another, that we can have these great conversations that organically grow from what we do find in common. When we have that stronger foundation, then I think that we can start changing our values, a culture shift, as you called it, regarding um, the concept that failure is opportunity. I think that there has to be a stronger foundation to start with. What brought you here? 
Um, so right now, um, I'm called what's called an education programs consultant. I think that the first and foremost question that comes to my mind every time that I'm working with other consultants or administrators is how do we solve the achievement gap? How do we fill the achievement gap? And if that becomes the center of every conversation that we have, then it goes back because we didn't really jump because it all comes back to that commonality and being able to figure out that common ground and how can we work together and how can we actually make progress because I think it, human nature dictates that we all want to do that. So it um, appealed to me, the consultant role, because it's an opportunity to really um, have those, all those different types of conversations with people. Right. Yeah. I'm working in the legislative um, area, and I'm also uh, working on our OPTEL, which is the observation protocol for teachers and English learners, that will become the standardized um, criterion to and so you mentioned English learners, which is um, a group that some people know of and some people don't know of. Prior to coming to the CDE, did you know this group? Um, Have you worked with these, this group prior to yes. being here? Yes, um, but I did not start out my career really focused on English learners or really understanding English learners as a priority. Um, I taught gate seventh grade. It was at a diverse school with a um, really cool population of kids that came from different socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds, but there was a lot of parent support and a lot of parent involvement. And so I didn't really see outside of that necessarily because it was just really fun to teach this diverse group of students that had a lot of parent support. And I realized after two years that um, I wanted to be doing something more challenging and reaching out to kids that were not being provided as much access. Um, I moved to an urban high school where I was really focused on the achievement gap and really still did not have any concept about English learners or supporting English learners. And that's where at this school we had over 30% English learners population. And if you include our reclassified students, over 50%. And that's where it really hit me, and I realized that this was um, a clientele that was not being served and that was continuing to be put on the back burner and face the most adversity that um, I had seen in, in my career so far. Okay, so you're going from gate, which seems like it's on one side of the spectrum, mm -hmm. to English learners who are on yeah. the complete other side of the... Yeah, it was so, really scary. I'm, I'm just wondering, how do you get over those fears? Where do you find the support to pull through and like say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm trying to talk about this concept of lowering the achievement gap and like, how am I going to make that a reality for myself? That's a really good question because I think that teachers are really scared of teaching English learners because there's two things I've kind of found. One is I don't teach those kids. I teach AP, I teach honors, there's kind of that mentality, those are my kids, and there's a mentality of my teachers that you've earned that, like you, if you've paid your dues, then those are the kids you get to teach, you get to teach those classes. There's also um, another camp of teachers, um, and these may not be the only two camps, they're just the most common ones, um, that are just scared. The idea of teaching someone that doesn't know how to speak English and then have to also teach them content, and we have so much pressure on teachers to have students be successful as far as standardized tests are concerned, it's just really scary to take on both of those you know challenges um, when you're already so tapped out as a teacher on a daily basis so it was scary for me but what I found is that teaching English learners is the most rewarding experience ever it's just extremely rewarding to be among that group of students that honor the learning process and don't take it for granted and then to see the progress that they make so quickly and the opportunity for them to become part of the standard instructional program and to have access to the rigor and 
content of our most successful students, it's just, it's invigorating. And I think that teachers need to, it needs to be a mind shift among teachers that our English learners, like you said, are in every classroom and that they deserve that access and that by keeping them in this other camp other than that um, we are perpetuating bigotry, we are perpetuating racism, we are perpetuating classism, and sometimes teachers need to check their implicit bias. It's not just the students that are often secluded, it's the teachers teaching designated ELD. Those teachers don't have an opportunity to um, collaborate with, let's say, the other English teachers at a department meeting because, well, you just teach designated ELD, so you're not working on the same stuff that we're working on. And then that teacher becomes isolated, and then it's a, it's a ripple effect. And so what is one piece of advice you do have for teachers who are ready to take on the challenge and see the issues and know that they might have some biases and have come to realize that? Um, I would say advocacy because there aren't as many resources as there should be and often the resources that are available are mismanaged. Um, and the oversight as far as Title III funding, for example, is concerned can be really ambiguous. And the state of California is doing an amazing job, CD does an amazing job as far as monitoring is concerned and going out there and getting to our sites and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But this is like one small part of the state compared to all of our LEAs across the state. So teachers that are interested in teaching English learners, becoming advocates and getting involved, teaching our students to be advocates. Now that you've, you have the perspective of the CDE and you were once a teacher, I mean, what, what, what have you learned? What have you seen? CDE has enormous responsibility and tasks and that they, there are amazing people here that are doing amazing things, especially in the English Learner Services Division. Obviously, I am biased because that's where I work, but these people are fantastic and most of them are former teachers and administrators and they have been on the front lines and they have been in the trenches and they understand. Uh, the bureaucracy holds us back without a doubt. And so, so much of what we want to do um, at this level is inhibited by the bureaucracy, but the bureaucracy is also there for a reason because those checks and balances need to be in place in order for things to get done correctly and with integrity. I still have tremendous connection and advocacy for our teachers. I will always be a teacher's advocate. I think that they have the hardest job in the world besides nurses probably, and that uh, we should be doing as much as we can on CDE's end to make their lives easier and to advocate for them. And that's my intention every single day. Yeah, I think a lot of teachers will appreciate that, especially and just knowing that they are in mind and that they are in the front lines of what is what direction is going to be the next step. They're right? amazing. They're in there every single day. They need to, you know, have that support in order to make that mind shift that you and I were just talking about. It's not something that we can just snap our fingers. It's really hard when you're doing it, especially if things like resources, Title III funds, all of those things are not being properly allocated or being mismanaged or being taken advantage of, it makes it all the harder for, for people actually at, on the sites. In California, I think we're really lucky that things are constantly moving, right? And so we just have a new governor, we have a new superintendent, there's a lot of new changes occurring. And yeah. so moving forward, what, where do you think that we need to work on for English learners to continue to move forward? I would say that we need to make sure professional development is at the forefront for our teachers and our administrators. Because without awareness and without the tools and the skills 
in order to apply philosophy. We could have all the best intentions of the world, but we can't actually do it without the know-how. And so much of that know-how comes through experience, and then often you gain that experience, and you know it's kind of not too late, but it took a while, right? right. Um, to have that professional development up front and relevant professional development. So much of our professional development is wasted time, and that's just the truth. Um, and so relevant professional development, that's what I would love to see. People that are specialists, that are truly advocates, that are out there doing the work, walk, walking the talk, talking the walk, those people getting involved at the local level and providing that inspiration to teachers that are actually in their classroom. You have just listened to the stories behind the CDE. I hope you all enjoyed this episode and were either inspired or learned something new. I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on the platform you use to listen to this episode. Until next time.